Eagles Entertainment. Eagle Eye in the Sky is fueled by Gatorade, the official sports drink of the Philadelphia Eagles. Everything that moves, I don't care who it is. Let's go. Give me everything you got. Play fast, play hard. Let's beat these boys tonight in their house. It's party time. It's party time. Let's go. You are listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Fran Duffy. That's right of the week. We've got an interesting game to break down on both sides of the ball. It's the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast fueled by Gatorade continues. I'm Fran Duffy, and as always, I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number 370. At the top of today's show, we've got Chalk Talk, where I chat with Greg Cosell from NFL Films so we can discuss our biggest takeaways from the film and the Eagles' tight loss to the Los Angeles Chargers. I thought there were some really good things to glean from the tape on both sides of the football. Greg and I will get into it right at the top of the show and spin this forward to next week's matchup against the Denver Broncos. Before we get there, though, just a couple of things I want to make sure we hit on. Number one, make sure you head on over to our Apple Podcast page. Leave us a rating. Leave us a comment. If you've got a question about this Eagles football team, jump on over to that page. Leave us the the question right there in the comment box. We will get to it. Obviously, make sure you are subscribed so you can get the show sent to your phone or to your podcast device twice weekly right here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. As well, make sure you go check out uh, our All-22 segment, All-22 review segment. That's all the plays that Greg and I are going to talk about here on tonight's show. We are, I break it all down over on the All-22 Review. You can find that over on PhiladelphiaEagles.com, the Eagles' YouTube page, really all of their digital channels. Uh, also, the post-snap read. You want to go make sure you read up uh, on what my thoughts were from the Eagles' offensive uh, philosophy going into this game. And I thought they did a really good job with play sequencing and running complementary plays. We're going to talk about it a little bit here with Greg. But again, I dig into it a little bit more in the post-snap read. You can go find that on PhiladelphiaEagles.com. Of course, I will tweet that out as well. For those of you who are keeping attention, or paying attention to the NFL draft and to what those top prospects could be. Obviously, the Eagles in position right now to have three first-round picks potentially in next year's draft. If you want to know who those top names are, who you need to know, make sure you go over and subscribe to the Journey to the Draft podcast. Myself, Dane Brugler, Ben Fennel. Ross Tucker, Eric Galco, Chris McPherson, on the whole rotation, a whole Rolodex of guests. We are continuing to roll through that show. Make sure you go subscribe to the Journey to the Draft podcast. We are hitting on all of those top names each and every week, twice weekly, there on that show platform. You can find that wherever podcasts can be found. That said, let's get into tonight's show. Excited to chat with Greg Cosell to talk through Eagles Chargers here in Chalk Talk. Let's get down to business. It's time for Chalk Talk. All right, it's time now to dive into the film with my friend Greg Cosell here for Chalk Talk. Greg, uh, welcome to week 10 here in 2021. It's going fast. Crazy that it's week 10. It's hard to believe, but yeah, it's here. Yeah, no question. And an interesting game uh, to break down. I actually had a lot of fun breaking down this game on both sides of the football here Monday morning. Uh, Eagles lose uh, to the Chargers. So it was a right down to the wire. Um, I thought there was interesting things to take away from both sides of the football. We'll start on offense where, Greg, uh, you know, there was a lot talked about, you know, basically all over the Philadelphia area in regards to this offensive identity and what does this offense want to do? What do they do best uh, really over the first six, seven weeks of the season? Well, through week eight and week nine, I think that identity might be starting to crystallize in terms of what they will be moving forward now that we've got this two-game sample. And it's uh, it's kind of interesting. And it's something I wrote about over on the on the pre, uh, post-snap read here uh, on PhiladelphiaEagles.com this week. But I think that it's real. we're still really starting to get a sense of how potentially they might try and play here moving forward the rest of this year. Yeah, I agree. I thought this was a, a game, and, and they showed elements of it last week. But uh, against Detroit, but I thought in this given game, you really saw the offense have kind of a rhythmic feel and a rhythmic flow to it with the way they use the run game, the way they use the pass game off of it. Uh, so it, it really it, it kind of looked pretty rhythmic to me. The good sense of timing. Um, I like what they did with the play action pass game, uh, some under center, some in the shotgun. But it, it definitely you know what, it's weird to say based on where we've been, but it just, it it was just a really good game to watch. And I thought the Eagles offense looked good. Yeah. I mean, right now through the last two games, they lead the NFL in run rate. They're running it just about 64% of the time, uh, which is number one in the NFL weeks one through seven. 
it was down to 30th in the NFL is 30% of the time. So a giant, I mean, more than do, twice the rate at which they were uh, in the first seven weeks of the season. Uh, and that has shown up in multiple ways. I mean, we're seeing the play action numbers go up. We're seeing obviously the yards after contact, the explosive runs. Um, they're being a little bit more aggressive downfield because with some of those play action plays, we're seeing more intermediate chunk plays to Dallas Goddard and to Devontae Smith. So uh, getting those guys going a little bit further down the field, uh, again, just kind of a, a little bit more of a sense of what the identity will be with this offense. And uh, Jalen Hurts has not cracked 20 pass attempts each of the past two weeks, but he's been efficient as a passer. And when he's gone, he dropped back, uh, they've been doing a nice job, whether it's screen game or off play action of defining some of these throws, uh, you know, getting Devontae Smith, getting Dallas Goddard, those guys, the ball on the run. Well, he did have 24 dropbacks, so they did call 24 pass plays. Uh, obviously, they uh, he had he ran a number of times. Sure. He only ran 57 offensive plays, and you know when you play that way, and obviously the opponent also made the game quicker as well with all the quick game throws. So the clock did not stop because there were not many incompletions by Justin Herbert. But you made a great point. You know, I think the play action pass game, and I've talked about this uh, quite a bit, really going back to the beginning of the season, that I I, I kind of felt that this might be one way to go, uh, because what it does, you saw some of those intermediate routes in the middle of the field, the post-cross combination. You saw the out routes to Devonta Smith. Those are spot throws. You're not waiting for Devonta Smith to see where he breaks. Those are timed throws. So they're spot throws. And as you know, with the post cross, particularly when you get single high, those are you're just reading the safety, the, the deep post safety, and he tells you where to throw the ball. So it really helps with the um, the reading uh, process for for um, Jalen Hurts. And it, it works really well under center as well with the play action pass game because the under center play action pass game has a much bigger effect on second level defenders than the shotgun uh, play action pass game. Mm, yeah, and certainly, I mean, Jalen Hurts, I think I mentioned uh, already 10 for 12 off play action these last couple of weeks. So it's been something yep. that has worked for him. He's been very efficient in those situations, whether it's been under center or in the shotgun. Uh, I think one area of the offense, I think that will be really important for them moving forward because last week against Detroit, you know, the Eagles said they just had so much success running the football. Um, you know, they, they, they didn't face a ton of third down situations. Right. And so uh, you come into this game, they ended up eight for 12 on third down. That's a, that's a good number, obviously um, sure. that's, that's, that's where you want to be. But when you look at those third downs and say, okay, let's just kind of hash these out. That's something I talked about on the post game show after the game, he had nine dropbacks, Jalen hurts, on third down, he had those two incompletions, the one the one on the opening drive to Dallas Goddard that he missed Dallas Goddard, the one to Devontae Smith uh, in the end zone. That could have been a touchdown as well. Uh, those guys just unable to hook up. You had the third down sack. All right, so those three of those nine dropbacks, the other six were scrambled drill plays, and a bunch of them right. Jalen Hurts was able to pick up. One he threw to Dallas Goddard on the opening drive. The others he was able to pick up with his legs. Uh, but as you've talked about so many times it, in regards to other quarterbacks around the NFL, it just becomes a question of whether or not that is a sustainable form of third-down offense. So when they get into if you're going to play this way, if you're going to run the football and that's going to be the foundation, more often than not, you're going to face a lot of third and threes, third and fours, third and fives, because you're, you're not going to run for seven yards a clip against every defense, every single drive. And so uh, the, I think that third down and medium offense, that third down and short offense, that's going to be imperative for them uh, to play winning football consistently moving forward and, and keep those drives alive. Yeah. And, and your point's a good one because there were a number of completions that were not on third down where they went seven man protection. Yeah. And with basically a two-man route concept. We saw a couple of those. Um, uh, Smith, 23 yards on second and 10 on the second possession of the third quarter. Then he had 19 yards on the uh, the fourth quarter uh, touchdown drive, which actually was second and 16. But these are seven-man protections. And obviously, you're only sending out three, and maybe someone you know leaks out. But you can't do that really on third down. Yep. So it's a great question. I mean, look, we've seen in this league over the last number of years, we've seen more quarterbacks that have the ability to run and make plays with their legs. Um, obviously, the Chargers did not do a good job at all because all those runs came to the right. And that's exactly where you do not want him to go. So they really struggled with their contain with their pass rush concepts. And that won't be the case with every team. Um, you know, I think it's it's kind of a mixed bag right now. Obviously, quarterbacks that can move around, if they can, it can be very effective. Um, 
but obviously you would really like to see him make throws when the throws are there. Sure. Uh, and I think one other big standout, obviously, from an individual player performance uh, in this game, certainly the rookie for, uh, first round pick, Devontae Smith, oh, sure, his second, yeah. yeah, his second 100 yard game uh, was featured part of the offense, a bunch of targets here in this one, especially down the field. Uh, interesting to kind of get your take what you saw there from Devontae Smith in this game against the Chargers. Yeah, I mean, I think you see what we kind of knew. Um, it's just this past game hasn't been consistent week to week, so therefore he doesn't put up numbers every week, but we know that he's a really smart smooth route runner. He's extremely refined. What really stood out to me, and I'm sure it did to you as well, is just how he uses his vertical stem. Because he ran intermediate route concepts or essentially have vertical stems. And he he really has a great feel for just angling slightly, bending his body, um, changing his pace and his tempo on routes. He's really good at separating at the top of his route stem. You really saw that this week. He's always had it, obviously. It's just that this week they were able to run plays um, where that was the case. I mean, you know, the 27-yarder on the third possession was the post-cross combination that I mentioned where he ran the crosser. You know, and he just does such a good job. I, I remember seeing that route from the end zone angle, and he just had that little step to the right and just enough of a body bend. I forget who the corner was. Um, might've been Campbell, but yep. I forget. Um, where he just had enough body bend and he just st- stuck his foot in the ground and all, and you just see Campbell pause for a moment. And all of a sudden you get the needed separation. He's so good at those little details of route running. And to me, like what makes him, and just as this is almost like a big picture wide receiver discussion, you know, you talk about different tiers of route runners. There are lots of guys that can win in the quick game. And some guys are really good getting off the ball and winning, you know, on a slant. Everybody's got to win on a slant. If you're going to play in the NFL, there are some guys that are really good vertical route runners. They excel at getting defenders to to flip their hips on a corner route or on a post route, or, you know, they, they run, uh, they do a nice job stacking defenders on fades. You know, they, they, they they have a really good feel for running those deep vertical routes. To me, the guy, that kind of separate though are the the guys that really run the intermediate routes really well because you need that savvy that you show in the quick game but also you need to still have that element of juice to be able to push vertical as you mentioned uh and still be able to work a defender at the second and third level and i think that when you're running those deep digs those comebacks those deep curls uh that shows up with Devonte smith time and time again i think that's why there's a feeling that he could develop into one of the best route runners in football yeah, and I think he's he's that guy. We all knew that coming into the league, that he was that guy. And we saw it this week. And and notice all the routes we're talking about, though. He has the ability to sort of stretch his legs. He's, yep. he, he's a strider. You know, so this is, these are the routes he runs really, really well. He needs the ability to stride. Yep. Uh, and just looking at this offense schematically as well, you know, we talked about some of the different things that we saw. Uh, the Eagles the last couple of weeks, they've played a lot of tight ends. I mean, second most yep. in terms of multi-tight end usage in the NFL over this two-game stretch. Um, and I think a lot of the, one of the things they have really done a nice job of over these last couple of weeks as well has been play sequencing and running different complementary concepts off of uh, base run plays or base pass, pass plays. We've seen it more with the run play action pass element. Uh, but, you know, I thought in this game, there are several examples of them. Uh, hey, we're going to run split zone. We run a lot of split zone, especially with Jordan Howard. Well, now we're going to run split zone where there's a zone read element and Jalen Hurts can keep it. Hey, we're going to run split zone and there's RPOs added onto it. So just continuing to add different layers to some of those base plays. And I well, think we're seeing that more often We're over these last couple of weeks. I think anytime you have a running quarterback or a quarterback who can run, yeah. I think split flow zone always gives you a zone read element. So yeah. I don't think that's unique to the Eagles, but you know, it's funny. We spoke last week about their third possession. This week, it was their fourth possession. I mean, the first 11 plays of their fourth possession came at a 13 personnel friend. And lots of looks from the 13 personnel. Yeah, yes. And nine of those 11 came with Hertz under center. Yep. Nine of the 11 were called runs. So you're talking about a 15 play drives. I'm not counting the field goal, but so 15 offensive plays, 12 called runs and 12 plays that came at a 13 personnel. And, and with Hertz under center. So to me, you know, this is what, this is how their offense net works best because it gives you so much with the play action pass game because, you know, there's so much I could get into here, but people can't see it. But the point is the, the play action pass game under center really impacts second level defenders far more than the play action pass game 
in the shotgun. And there's so many elements to that, as you know, but it just impacts it so much more. And it automatically gives you the boot element, which you don't really have with the quarterback and the shotgun. Sure. Uh, and it's something if you if you're out there, if you're one of our listeners looking for some of those visuals, uh, I do show some of these clips over on the all 22 review, which you can go check out over on the Eagles YouTube page and uh, uh, any of the Eagles digital channels. Uh, Greg, let's flip over to the defensive side and obviously a, a lot of discussion about the defense and the philosophy coming in. And um, there are some individual players I do want to ask you about, but I do think it's really interesting, Greg. You know, we talk about the, the change in the identity for the Eagles offense. Looking at this Eagles defense this week, uh, they played more single high man than any team in the NFL uh, in week nine. They played, uh, they blitzed more than at any point that they had this season. Yeah. In this game. There's only still only 13, 14 blitzes, depending on the service, but they still are, you know, there was a little bit of a change in philosophy here in this game. Now, they still played a lot of off coverage, so it was loose man, but it was a, a lot of single high man coverage, whereas we've seen previously a lot of split safety zone. So interesting to see the, the change philosophically here in this game. Yeah, I mean, I made that point, too, that they play more snaps of cover one than they had in any previous game. They were more aggressive with pressure, that the defense has been evolving as the season has progressed into much more of a single high safety defense. But you're right, they played off coverage man as opposed to press man and i'm sure some people would like to see them play press maybe we'll we're getting to that who knows yep. um and then obviously because it still presented a lot of clean quick game throws for herbert and the fact that his completion percentage was again off the charts you know that becomes problematic for a lot of fans but i think they're moving in this direction you, you know we saw some of it last week against detroit obviously people would say detroit's not very good on offense i don't think people would say the same thing about the los angeles chargers so you know they did give them a lot of those throws and obviously you don't want to do that because justin herbert is very very rhythmic and the ball just comes out and and obviously it comes out quick um you know obviously in the fourth quarter when they were playing with with Epps at the slot corner position and the rookie McPherson on the outside due to injury, it, you know, it's easy to, to just make blanket statements, but, you know, you have to be a little careful with that. You got two guys, one guy who's playing out of position and another guy who's a rookie who's hardly played any, playing any first football snaps yep. you know, up to that point. No, I, that's a really good point. I think when too, um, you know, looking at, you mentioned the, the, quarterback completion percentage. And look, we've been talking on this show going back to January when the new, when it was talked about, Hey, Jonathan Gannon is going to be the defensive coordinator and talking about where he comes from in Indianapolis. When you see those defenses uh, with the Colts and some of these other uh, defenses that are built that way, completion percentages are typically going to be high. Now, this is an extreme, what we're seeing here, right? Obviously, you don't want it to always be 85% completion percentage for the opposing quarterback. What I would say is that there's a difference between some of this, you know, some of these completions are good completions to give up. Some of them are not as good, right? So there were a couple, you know, blown coverages uh, to one side where, you know, maybe there was a miscommunication between, yeah, you know, I think, those, I, yeah. yep, there were a couple of those uh, in this game. The one to Jared Cook in the flat where he ran down his first half, he's running down the sideline into the red zone. That to me, that was that some kind of miscommunication in coverage yeah. there. That's a bad completion. Uh, if a linebacker gets held up on some play action fakes and now he loses his guy in the flat, that's a bad completion to give up, right? But uh, look, there are going to be some plays where, if you're playing soft zone, you're playing soft man, you're inviting that completion to be made. We we praised it last week when they played, uh, you know, cover zero and the ball comes out fast and Darius Slay goes out and makes the tackle. That's a good completion to give up, right? Well, there are some of those in this game. It's about more limiting some of those bad completions. And it's no different than, you know, back in week two, week three, when the Eagles were having troubles uh, stopping the run. And we say, yeah, like, look, you can give up two, three, four, five yard runs it's about not giving up the six, seven, eight, nine yard runs. It's the same thing when I look at some of these completions. I don't look at all of them and say, "Yeah, this is just a blanket statement." They need to they need to force more incompletions. It's more about limiting the ones that you do give up. Because Jared Goff completed a boatload of passes a week ago. The Lions were never in that game. Completion percentage can be a tricky stat from that standpoint. Yeah, and obviously, you do know when you play this way that you are going to give up completions. Exactly, you're going to give up some yards. And the goal, of course, is to limit big plays. You know, that first drive by the Chargers where they got the ball at what, whatever yard line, and they went all the way down, and the Eagles played great tight red zone defense. And then they got back down there on their second possession, and they they had a really well-designed play to, for a touchdown to Steven Anderson on a two-yard touchdown, which was a beautifully designed play. And, and Edwards was 
he was in man coverage on Anderson, but you had that ISO lead action to the boundary with Anderson then changing direction. That's a tough deal for TJ Edwards. Yep. I mean, you know, that's just a tough deal. You can't really say, oh, he screwed up. That's a really tough deal. He had to react to the run action from the two yard line. Yep. Um, but obviously you're counting on teams making a mistake, whether it's an incompletion, you know, whether it's, hey, you do stop them in the run game and all of a sudden it's second and 10. Maybe there's a penalty. I mean, what you don't want to give up is the 49 yard at a Williams that started the second possession of the third quarter. But see, there's a perfect example. Slay was matched man to man on Williams and people are crying for, hey, let's play man. We've got Darius Slay. And this is no knock on Darius Slay. Because it was tightly really, covered. It was a great catch. <laughs> right, right. Catch. And he's a really good player. That's not no knock, but you know, you can't just throw out platitudes and it doesn't always work like that. Was that not the same play that uh, we broke down an Eagles game plan last week, Greg, against the Cleveland Browns uh, with Mike Williams streaking across the field uh, and Herbert throwing across his body? I'm pretty sure it was the same concept. Well, yeah, it probably was. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it was pretty, pretty you know, simple, but, you know um, and then, I mean, that was, you know, Williams got on top of Slay early in the route. Slay kind of recovered and it was a great throw and a great catch. I mean, yeah. he's, you know, you have your best corner, matched against their big play receiver. And you know what? The offense won. Yeah. Uh, but for the most part, I think the Eagles probably played defense in this game. And this will sound crazy because they lost. They probably played it the way they kind of wanted to. They just got stuck in the fourth quarter having to put bodies out there in, in positions that they just you know, they didn't want to be in that situation. Yeah, at the end of the day, I mean, that, that second to last drive, not the game winning one, but the one before, uh, you had three third and longs that you couldn't get off the field. You had the ticky tack penalty on Darius Slay, which was, you know, a very questionable call, uh, you know, from a defensive holding standpoint. Then you had the third and six, Derek Barnett jumping off sides, create the third one that Correct. perhaps uh, the QB sneak. And then you had the third nine, uh, the 18 yard dig route or the, the deep curl to Keenan Allen, which was a strike from Herbert. He throws a seed and puts it on him and, uh, you know, they're able to move the sticks, but three third and longs situations where the defense unable to get off the field those are the th that's the that's the, the thing where you're trying to you, you can't have those to play and you play defense right you, play you can't play this rate. style of defense and give up third down conversion that's, that's the goal yeah no question right. that, that's right. a, a big thing that you know was an issue for them in this game um looking at tj edwards uh once again Cody right. played really well in this game. Played really well in this game, yeah. right? Uh, downhill, sideline to sideline, uh, led the team in tackles, but just watching him on film, uh, his presence was felt. Without question. And obviously, they, he played every snap. And they made a decision that Edwards and Taylor are the linebackers. They're going to give Taylor the shot to see how he plays, I'm sure, the rest of the year, unless they think he's playing lousy. But I actually think he's playing a little better each week. And he I'm is. not putting him on every play. You're probably looking at him a little more closely than I am, Fran. But I think he's getting better every week. But Edwards is – I thought he actually showed some range in this game, which, you know, was always the knock on him, that he was basically just a box player. I thought he showed some range to make plays outside the box. But I love the play where he blew up the ISO lead block of Anderson in the red zone no on doubt. the second possession of the third quarter. You know, he's you know, he's one of those guys and he was undrafted because the measurables didn't suggest that he could be a nickel player with the range and you know to do the things necessary in the pass game. And we'll see as this season goes on, but there's no question he flashes. And to me, like when you talk about his skill set. And so some of the areas that we felt like they, you know, the Eagles need to get better at early in the season in terms of stopping the run and getting a little bit better in the box was winning more of those one-on-ones uh, in terms of defeating blocks. And that's, that's where he has excelled. I mean, whether you talked about the ISO lead play, uh, but even just the beating guards from tackles, beating guards from beating blocks from guards, uh, just his ability to play downhill, navigate through traffic. He's done that very well. Um, you is. can't, when you're playing with these light boxes, you can't trade one for one defensively. It can't, because otherwise that's a win for the offense. You've got to be able to make them go two for one to get that numbers game back in your favor. Yeah. Hey, let me ask you about one play, which I was, it was actually the first possession of the third quarter. Okay. It was third and four where um, Keenan Allen caught a slant against Maddox. Yep. Okay. We, I remember this play well. Go ahead. Okay. He beat him off the ball, but Maddox gave up the inside. Right. Uh, and, so if I remember right, was Singleton, was was Singleton the linebacker there? Uh, don't remember that. So, but, but I thought Maddox played Allen as, as, as if he had help immediately to the inside because he gave him the inside. Right. So the, we play this back a few times and 
when you looked at all the other corners, it felt like all the other corners were playing with slight into slight inside leverage, uh, whether they were inside corners or the, the, the other uh, defensive back in the slot to the top of the screen. It felt like everybody else was playing inside leverage. Uh, the linebacker, I'm pretty sure it was Singleton, was mugged up on the line of scrimmage, and he ended up blitzing on the play, and they dropped Derek Barnett. If this is the same play I'm remembering. They dropped Derek Barnett. Uh, he came off, so it was a, a zone exchange pressure, and I felt like Barnett was the whole player, but he dropped back vertically. He didn't get to the hole. He didn't get to between okay. the hashes. So I don't know if that's uh, one of those things where, okay, does Maddox need to be playing with more inside leverage and not give up that inside because that help is on the opposite hash or does Barnett need to get more to the middle of the field? That's one of those things where, uh, you know, without being in the room, I don't know, but that was kind of how I read that play. Um, but we, we, Ben and I, uh, Ben Fennel and I went back as we were watching, we rocked that back and forth a bunch of times, just trying to get a better sense of that completion. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to actually look at it right now as we're talking. So yeah. All right. I'll let, can, I'll let you keep searching. I can pull uh, it up right now. But that, but those, so like, that's a good example though, Greg, of what I was saying <laughs> earlier in terms of like the good completions versus the bad completions and how. Right, so it is Singleton and they're in their five, one nickel front. Okay. okay. Yep. Cause I'm looking at it now. Yeah. And Barnett. Well, no, Singleton did not blitz. They're playing man. Singleton had the back. Singleton has the back. Okay. Singleton had the back. Barnett dropped out. So it's basically everybody's playing man. Um, now, Barnett was on the other side. Barnett was on the boundary, and Allen was in the field slot, okay? Yep. So it was opposite side of the field. <clears throat> right. So there's no way Barnett's going to impact this throw unless he literally ran there immediately. Exactly. So that to me, oh, that's yeah. what read to me is like, okay, the, the technique early in the down from uh, Avante Max just off by a step. Half he's a step. playing outside technique. He's playing right outside technique. Snap, right. Yep. The, yeah. And so then, if, and then he just opens up and lets him inside of him, which, yep. you know, and everybody else is playing hard man with, in, with, with inside it, leverage, with inside leverage, forcing him out to the sideline away yep. from the middle of the field. So, and that, but that's an example, Greg, of exactly what I was talking about earlier in terms of like, those are the completions. Those are the ones that you need to correct. Right. Correct. And that they're yeah. playing, they're playing man to man. That's not a soft, too high zone. Co- no. completion. And by the way, right? at this time they were playing kind of press man. Yeah, this is not soft man because it was third and four. So yep. they, you know, it wasn't third and ten. So no. No, it, anyway, that was just struck me. That's why I wanted to ask you about. I'm that glad, but, that, but that's the that's a perfect example. I'm so glad you brought that play up because it's a perfect example of what I was talking about earlier. That there, there, just, there are a handful of examples in this game of man. If they, if the, a couple things, one thing changes, all of a sudden now you know the, that completion percentage looks a little bit different, and we're not having that discussion. But uh, obviously they. They weren't uh, they weren't different, and you had that huge completion percentage um, from Justin Herbert from the opposing quarterback, and it's happened a lot uh, here this season. But in this game, it was different because of the defensive philosophy it was just so starkly different from what we've seen in weeks past. I thought yeah, that was you're really also you're also dealing with a really high level quarterback. I mean, yeah, no doubt. Know, I mean, Herbert's really high level player. Yeah. Um, just looking at the, the rest of the defense real fast, you mentioned uh, some of the injuries on the back ends. We saw a bunch of young players. Uh, Andre Sachere jumped in uh, to be the nickel corner early yeah, he on. Played a bunch of snaps in the, yeah, in the first, I guess when Maddox got hurt the first time, he came, yep. he was the guy who came in. The, I guess they weren't happy with him or whatever. I don't know. But the second time, obviously, they did not bring him in. They moved Epps to the slot corner position. Yeah, and so Epps comes in uh, in the slot. We saw, um, you know, it's just uh, some different rotations there in the back end. And then up front, I thought uh, overall the run defense was pretty good here uh, in this game. We talked about TJ Edwards. We talked about Davion Taylor, who I agree continues to flash. It's not all perfect for him at this point, but continuing to see him uh, yep. make plays downhill uh, and out in space. I thought Fletcher Cox of the defensive lineman probably had the best game in terms of defending the run. Um, but I think overall, yep. uh, obviously everybody's going to point to the rush and the pass rush. But uh, Look, in this game, I mean, Herbert was getting the ball out really, really he fast. So the ball that's, out quick. that's tough. I mean, obviously he wasn't sacked and he was really under duress, but he was getting the ball out quick. Yeah, that, that's a tough game for uh, to kind of judge these defensive linemen. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it's kind of a tough go. And look, that, that, that's self-scouting from a Charger standpoint that uh, against the against this defensive line with some of the issues we've had up front offensively, uh, we're not going to we're not going to give them time to be able to get home. Right. Yeah. Uh, all right. So let's uh, let's now spin this forward to the uh, the game this week against the Denver Broncos and um, an interesting team. That here's here's the thing. To be honest, coming in after studying the Broncos last week, because uh, I'll usually start looking at the next opponent on Thursday and Friday of the previous week, so that by the time I talk to you on Monday night, I'm pretty well versed in what in what we're discussing. Uh, 
I was a little worried that, hey, I, I don't know if there's a lot of juice about this Broncos team. You know, they just traded Von Miller. They got a bunch of guys hurt. They had a couple more injuries uh, here this weekend as well. Uh, then they go out they and they just destroy the Dallas Cowboys. I'm like, all right. Eagles fans will have plenty of juice now for this game. Plenty to talk about here uh, with this Broncos team. We'll start on the offensive side of the football where uh, Eagles fans are well aware of uh, their offensive coordinator, Pat Shermer, who uh, had a couple stints here in Philadelphia. So Pat Shermer, the OC, Teddy Bridgewater at quarterback. Interesting to kind of get your thoughts on uh, this offense. We'll start uh, with the pass game. What do, you, what do you feel is the identity for them from a pass game standpoint? Well, I think a lot of it does work off the run game. Yeah, um, I think that's fair. Yep. You know, I, I think that they're really a, a – running football team to start. Um, and they've got two really two backs who are somewhat similar in that they're both big physical runners. Um, they, they're both 220 plus. Well, I don't know if Gordon technically is, but he's close. Um, but he's big. They're physical. Um, you know, I think they're, they're tempo setter type runners. They're, they're attitude runners. Um, I think Williams just has more skill overall, but they play both backs and they feature, you know, the zone game. They feature some gap scheme stuff. They pull guards. Um, it's a pretty multiple run game and they try to be physical. Um, and then they play a lot out of 12 personnel. I mean, I think when you look at just for the season, um, you know, they play 12 personnel, about 30% of their snaps and yep. it, the percentage goes up. When it's you look at, at first down, you know, they're close to 40%. So this is a team that lines up a lot in 12 personnel. Now, they've got someone like Noah Fant, who is a very athletic tight end, who just because you're in 12 personnel, it doesn't mean he's attached to the formation. He can be detached. Um, but, you know, I think that's where it starts. I think they they try to have a vertical element to their passing game. Yeah. Um, Bridgewater is a quarterback that that's always had a tendency to hold on to the ball too long in the pocket, and he's therefore susceptible to sacks. I think he's near the top of the league in terms of being sacked, but they do try to have a vertical element to their passing game. They, they'll run just straight go routes. I mean, they they want to take get the ball down the field. We don't think of Teddy Bridgewater that way as a big power arm guy because he's not that. But you don't have to have a power arm to make certain vertical throws. And they clearly want to do that. I mean, coming into this game, I haven't looked at the updated number, but I know coming into week nine, they were third in the NFL in terms of their deep pass attempts. They want to push the ball uh, down the field, 16.3% of their passes traveling 20 plus yards. So they want to be able to push the ball down the field. So I was interested kind of going back and I just kind of watched all of their deep passes thinking like, okay, maybe there's some interesting vertical route concepts, you know, maybe they have a go-to, but it really, as you mentioned, a lot of it were just, hey, we're going to throw a fade to Cortland Sutton. Hey, we're going to throw a go ball uh, to Tim Patrick, and we're going to let these two twin towers out in the perimeter uh, just go up and make a play. And sometimes those guys are able uh, to hey, go up and make those plays. We saw one this week with the 44-yard touchdown right. to Patrick, who, by the way, is a pretty good player. and has Tim Patrick's a good player. player. He's, yeah. he's going to be a free agent. He's a really interesting player. Uh, I studied him a little bit last year um, just because I was kind of studying some of the bigger receivers around the NFL. Uh, and this is a kid who was a former undrafted free agent from Utah, six foot four, 212 pounds. He'll play inside and outside. He's a big body, but he moves pretty well and he catches everything. Uh, I think Ben Fennel looked up the stat earlier today. He had one drop in the last two seasons. This is a guy who's really impressive. Yeah. And I mean, you know, the play that we were talking about is he just ran a stutter go versus Trayvon Diggs. And, yeah. um, uh, you know, he beat him. He got on top of him. He, you know, not by a ton, but enough. And see, Bridgewater, that was a beautiful ball. Bridgewater yep. just put it right there. So, you know, Cortland Sutton can get vertical. You know, when it comes to verticality, size is a trait because it's stride length. So yeah. even though Patrick and Sutton are not 4-4 guys, you know, that, that stride length makes up for a lot of that. And you can see Patrick, for instance, on that play. We've seen Sutton throughout this season get on top of corners on vertical routes. Um, now that Judy's back, he's he's a really good intermediate route runner. Yeah. Um, so they've actually got a lot of weapons. Um, Noah Fan hasn't necessarily put up big numbers, but he's a guy that can also run. So it's it's they do have a lot of talent at wide receiver. 
Yeah, no offense. Out this past week, he was on the COVID list, uh, but we'll see if he is back for next Sunday. Albert Okwebunam, uh, the backup tight end, uh, fourth-round pick yeah. out of Missouri. I mean, he was a big-time player uh, early on in his college career because of that athletic uh, yeah. skill set. I mean, this is a guy that has that ability. I mean, 6'5", 260 pounds, he can get down the scene and be a factor. So they definitely have some interesting pass catchers to go along with that run game. Uh, along the offensive line, they've had to move some pieces around due to injury. Garrett Bowles couldn't go this week, so they shifted over the right tackle, Calvin Anderson. They had a couple of guys playing right tackle. Uh, they lost Graham Glasgow to uh, the right guard to, to injury, so now they have a rookie, Quinn Miners, who has to step in. So uh, they've definitely moved some pieces around. They've, they've put some uh, some assets, though, into this offensive line. A lot of uh, first-round picks, a lot of day-two picks. Dalton Risner, a second-round pick. Cushenberry, third-round pick. Quinn Miners now starting a, a second-round pick. So uh, they've put some assets into this offensive line. Garrett Bowles, obviously, a former first-round pick as well, left tackle. Um, and I haven't studied him in great detail, but I thought Cushenberry had a great game this week. Interesting. Yeah, he, thought, he, he definitely shows up more in the run game for me. Oh, for sure. I mean, because yeah. I said that um, uh, I made a note that he had an outstanding game as a run blocker. He executed multiple yep. blocking concepts, reach blocks, base blocks, combo blocks, second level blocks. He's a really good run blocker. And, yeah, and, and you talked about the tight end usage. Eric Sauber is their third tight yeah. end. Uh, and he is the, he's their best blocker at, at that position for sure. Uh, a guy that you have to kind of account for when they play in line. Uh, let's now, go over. Go ahead. Just one, one point. You know, I think Williams in particular, Gordon as well, but I think Javante Williams, I think he's an eye back because yeah. you want to get him on his track with build up speed and velocity. Yeah. You know, to me, he's not a shotgun runner. It doesn't mean he's never going to have a shotgun run, obviously, but I think he's an eye back. Mm. And, and I think that in, in many ways, Gordon is too, because they're both build up speed and velocity runners that then develop power. You want to get them on a track. You don't want them to be starting, you know, from a stopping position. You want them to get the ball as they're already moving. Yeah, and as you mentioned, Williams is just, uh, he is such a load to bring down. He's got a couple of runs this year where, uh, you know, the first three tackles are on him, and somehow he just, his legs just keep going and he wriggles out of it. He had a 30 yard run uh, this week, but it's not, it hasn't just been that run. It's been uh, others where he gets up to the second level and, two or three guys bounce off him and he just still keeps going. Uh, the, and you, it's, it's funny. He like broke every uh, like broken tackle and forced missed tackle metric uh, that everybody had from a college football standpoint. You think, oh, he's not going to bring that to the NFL. No, that's exactly the kind of runner uh, he has been so far in his NFL career. And I thought he was the best runner coming out of college. Right. Angie Harris was a more complete back because we saw his receiving ability at Alabama. But I thought Javonta Williams was the best pure runner of the backs who came out this past year. And I don't study Melvin Gordon nearly as much just because he's been in the AFC West his entire career. Um, but just kind of reflecting back, and it's been a long time, but reflecting back on my thoughts on him coming out of Wisconsin, I wasn't super high. I had some questions about him coming out. If I remember right, I'm pretty sure uh, you and I saw him the same way. There were questions about uh, that transition. I'll tell you what, his, his vision and patience really stand out to me. And that was not something I thought was a strength of his game early, you know, as a rookie and early on in his career. Um, well, but he, he really, I mean, he's been in the league for a long time. So he's seen, uh, he's, he's plenty battle tested at this point. He's almost had, and he's not quite as good in terms of yardage and production, but he's almost had kind of a Clinton Portis career. Mm. When Clinton Portis was in Denver. He came in his first couple of years and he was an explosive back. And, and Gordon came out of Wisconsin. He had all those, remember those 40 plus yard runs. Yeah, you know, was the, I mean, and that was like the fly sweep. I remember that, and that was like riveting. That was like, oh man, like look at what they do with him. That's really creative. Now everybody uh, does. Yeah, the I mean, stuff, he, but... he was a track runner basically, yep. and then he got to the NFL, and it didn't quite work out that way. And over time, he's really developed into a guy who gets hard yards. Yep. I mean, he's a tough, competitive inside runner. You rarely see him go distance. I guess he did have a. Was it this year? He had a really long run. Um, I forget. Every once in a while, he breaks one, but yeah. he's not really that kind of runner. Right. Uh, it's just been interesting kind of seeing that because I that's not what I know him as in my mind. So to be able to see him execute these runs uh, to the level that he has, uh, I, I found it just be fun uh, and impressive. Um, let's go over to the defensive side. Obviously, Vic Fangio, the defensive coordinator, or the, the head coach, rather, and uh, in, in charge of that defense, that defensive coordinator, Ed Donatello, who's been in the league uh, for a long, long time. Oh, yeah. so you, gotta, you get a sense of uh, what those guys are bringing. But um, just the elevator speech on this defense before we get into some of the nitty-gritty. Oh, well... And uh, you're dealing with, you know, one of the smartest defensive guys. Other coaches view him as a savant, basically. Um, so with Vic Fangio, you get 
to me, he's more about what happens in the secondary than he is with, at the, with the line of scrimmage. I mean, I think that he's <clears throat> what he does with his safeties to me. And it's subtle movements. It's not necessarily dramatic movements. What he does in coverage with match principles. Um, I think that that's really difficult for quarterbacks who are inexperienced. And at times it's really difficult for quarterbacks who are experienced, but it, I think that he does an awful lot. I think his linebackers are important and obviously he's playing with linebackers now who just, you know, they're not the guys he started the season with, obviously. In fact, Kenny Young just got there. So um, it's going to be really interesting, but but they obviously did really well this past week. I mean, Baron Browning, they drafted this year, and he played every single snap this past week as a as basically a stack backer. My guess is that was not the plan for him coming in. I mean, he was a rookie third-round pick, and he was kind of seen as a little bit of a, a height-weight-speed project coming in because he played all over the place for Ohio State. He was a, a defensive end at times during his career at Ohio well, State. Let me tell so- you something. I actually thought, and, I, you know, I, I took a maybe a closer look at him than you did simply because I – um you know, I was very curious because I, I kind of he, he had high level athletic traits. You and no I doubt. both knew he was a five star recruit coming yep. out of the state of Texas, going to um, to Ohio State. And it never quite happened for him that, you know, at Ohio State in terms of being that great, great player. But everybody saw the physical gifts. I got to tell you, I thought in this game. I thought he played with a pretty good sense of spatial awareness and zone mm. coverage. Yeah, I thought he played very, very well in this game. There was one where he matched the route that was developing behind him really well. He yeah. just took like one last peek and then he lost the receiver and it was a completion. Or it might have been a drop actually, but it was a, a very nearly a great uh, match from from him in coverage. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. So he, he and he's got the trap. I mean, he's explosive. He's flying around all over the place. I mean, the traits are absolutely there. Uh, just obviously a very inexperienced player. And, and I actually thought both linebackers played with outstanding route and spatial awareness in coverage because they played a lot of zone. Yeah. Um, they, they rushed four. I think only on six of Prescott's 43 dropbacks did they rush five. So they basically rushed four, played a lot of zone behind it. I mean, they played cover one, good amount, but a lot of split safety zone coverage that featured match elements depending on the routes. And yeah. that's where it gets really difficult for opposing quarterbacks. Yeah. I mean, they, uh, and it's, it's a little bit different from what we've seen because they were, I think, sixth in the NFL blitz percentage coming into the game. Um, but you talk about what they do with their safeties. They're second in the NFL uh, pre-snap lining up in a too high shell but they're also second in the NFL in rotating down to a one high shell from those looks, right? So uh, you're going to get a lot of those pre-snap disguises. We saw that on the interception by Caden Stearns late in this game uh, in the second half, uh, where you're going to see a lot of that late disguise from this secondary. And so uh, it will be, you know, one of those mental games, another one of those mental tests for Jalen Hurts uh, and this passing game. But it's not, you know, it's funny you say it's not just late movement. It's then what they do because that interception was such a good example because yeah, it it looks disguised because it starts in a two shell and then you see Simmons, the boundary safety kind of work his way down and you think, okay, it's, it's, you know, it's still man, but it's a robber type thing. But then it doesn't end up, it's still man the way it's probably coached and taught, but then Stearns in a zone type principle passes off the receiver to, to Simmons and he in a sense becomes the robber. So, you know, there's many little nuances and subtleties to what they do on the back end. And your point's exactly right. That's difficult for a quarterback, particularly when you get into longer yardage and third down situations. Yeah. And when you look at at that secondary, um, you know, a lot of moving parts back there and the streak will be alive. I can't imagine that there's any of that. No one tracks this anywhere, but Greg, I believe this will be seven games in a row now where the, the opposing defense that the Eagles are facing will be down two of their three starting corners that they came into the year with. Uh, Patrick Sertan goes down with injury. They don't fear that it'll be season ending. So uh, with that, what what was the injury? Because I know we only played 30 snaps. It was a leg injury. I didn't see exactly today. I just saw that the quote was the fear or they were they did not think it would be season ending. So when you say that, my guess is he's not going to be suiting up in week 10. I don't think he'll be ready to go Sunday would be my no, guess. No, if they, uh, if if they, they say Monday that, night. then he's certainly not playing this week. Yeah. So, um, you know, they, they had to do some rotating. No Bryce Callahan either. He went on injury reserve last week. So uh, I, my guess is the way it'll look is you'll have Kyle Fuller and Ronald Darby on the outside. And then you'll have Nate Hairston, the former Temple corner. Uh, he'll be he'll have to slide in and play some of the nickel. Um, that that's the way they finished this game. Fuller previously was the nickel. Uh, so again, uh, kind of moving pieces back there in the secondary. Yeah, I'm just looked it up while we're talking, and it says that um, 
he has just a, a, a knee sprain, whatever that means. I mean, that's what they, you know, so I don't know what that means. You know, I'm of not course. a doctor, but uh, yeah, it won't be season ending, but it'd be, I'd be very surprised if he plays this week. So we talked through uh, the back seven a little bit. We talked about the linebackers, the corners, the safeties. Uh, let's talk about this front. Obviously, they trade Von Miller, um, you know, in a, a move to acquire some more draft capital. Uh, so, okay, who who's going to be the presence up front? No Bradley oh. Chubb. He's on injured reserve. So uh, you're down your former top 10 pick uh, off the edge as well. Uh, to me, the guys are Shelby Harris, who's a kind of a, a DND tackle hybrid. He's, he's more of an player. inside He's guy. been a good player for a couple of years. Not a known guy, yep. but I'm sure he's not over looked by people who watch tape he's no. been a very solid player for them yeah disruptive he's got heavy hands he's got a quick first step uh he's yeah. a guy certainly to watch and then uh a young kid in jonathan cooper who oh, was he flashed me. yeah yeah i was going to mention him if you didn't i thought he really flashed as an edge pass rusher of course i thought the cowboys moved terrence Steele from right to left tackle and i don't think he looked particularly comfortable at left tackle yep. but that's beside the point um but i thought cooper definitely flashed he he, he showed up watching the tape of that game yeah, some other guys are just, you know, Malik Reed was out for this game. He was, he was banged up. He's been a starting edge rusher for them. So Stephen Weatherly, who they drafted or they just traded for, rather, yeah, uh, from the Minnesota Vikings, um, you know, a long kid, versatile. Uh, if there's any other pieces up front that kind of stand out to you, Draymond Jones uh, has played plenty for them over these last couple of years as well. Yeah, I thought Jones would end up being better because I thought, I thought he did. had yep. really good tape at Ohio State and in, in terms of rushing the quarterback. And, you know, he, he flashes here and there, but I thought he'd be better. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think, again, uh, we talked about the linebackers. It's, it, you know, it's Young and Browning. I assume it'll be those two guys again. Right. Um, one player who's really, really good is Justin Simmons. Yeah. Um, and he's the he's the BC kid, right? Yes, he's from Boston College. Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. Um, I, I didn't think he'd be this good in the NFL. I didn't either. Honest, yeah. With my evaluation yeah. when he came out. But he's long. He's athletic. I think he's smart. He's aware. You know, in in many ways, he's a perfect fit for the Vic Fangio defense. Well, he's very similar to um, the kid that's down with the Rams. Um, Why am I struggling on his name? You mean the guy who's no longer with the Rams, John Johnson? Uh, John Johnson now is with Cleveland. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, well, very, very similar. Yeah, yeah. Uh, very, very similar from a yeah. skill set standpoint. And both guys have really flourished in that kind of system from that same tree uh, of that Vic Fangio scheme. Um, Simmons does everything, whether it's you know defending the run. Uh, yeah. He's kind of the, the, the traffic cop back there uh, on the back end from a pass coverage standpoint as well. Um, so, no. And, and then, again, just looking at the matchup, it's a, a big mental game for Jalen Hurts in this pass game. So the, the, the run game, uh, we'll assume, will be a big part of what they try and do with the Eagles offensively here again. And I'll be very game. curious when you do get into third downs, which you will. Yep. Um, I think Caden Stearns has played really well as their dime safety this year. Yep. I've seen a lot of Denver's defense. He only plays 18% of the snaps because he's the dime. As you know, he was a big-time recruit going to the University of Texas. Never quite worked out for him, but he was a big five-star. Everybody wanted him. Um, I think he's really been a good player for them, and he can do a lot of different things. And it wouldn't surprise me to see him be a factor in this game because of Jalen Hurts, because mm. Stearns is is theoretically an athletic equivalent, which you know, to to Jalen Hurts. And uh, again, I you know, Vic Fangio is not going to give me a call and tell me what he's going to do, but it wouldn't surprise me if Stearns is a factor in this game, one way or the other. Yeah, they play. I think they're in the top 10 in dime usage so far uh, this season. Big part of that, uh, certainly yesterday, uh, Sunday, they played dime for most of the second half as Dallas oh, yeah. in catch up yeah, mode. So, yeah, yeah a, lot, a lot of Caden Sturts uh, in that game. So, uh, Greg, we'll be back next week. We'll be breaking it all down. Thanks once again for joining us here on Chalk Talk on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade. Thanks, Fran. The Philadelphia Eagles and New Era introduced the Fly Collection, an elevated, boldly branded apparel capsule with streetwear appeal that's different from your standard Eagles fan gear. The collection sees bold new graphic expressions of the Eagles brand on apparel essentials like hoodies, t-shirts, jackets, and headwear. The designs are kept simple, mixing fresh modern branding alongside bold punches of color available exclusively at all Philadelphia Eagles Pro Shop locations and the team's official online store. Learn more and view the entire capsule at philadelphiaeagles.com slash fly. Now it's time to hear from you, the fans, in the draft mailbag. 
Great stuff from Greg, who you can follow on Twitter, just like I do, at Greg Cosell. And while you're at it, I'm at EaglesXOs. That's where I post all the podcasts I'm a part of and all of our X's Nose content that we produce here with Eagles Entertainment. You know how much I appreciate everybody that promotes this podcast on all forms of social media. That is one way to support the show. But the best way is to go into Apple Podcasts or Stitcher and leave us a rating or even leave us a comment. I wanted to give a shout-out today to someone who did exactly that. Young IG left a five-star review saying, do you think the Eagles are doing a disservice to Jalen Hurts in regards to his depth of dropbacks in the pocket. Six foot one to six foot two is relatively short for a quarterback when all of your offensive linemen are six foot five and up. Historically, all short quarterbacks, whether it's Drew Brees, Michael Vick, Lamar Jackson, or even Patrick Mahomes, all tend to drop back way further in the pocket to create better throwing lanes and to ultimately navigate the pocket better. Hurts told a reporter that you don't see what I see out there in regards to escaping the pocket so much. He has a problem with seeing a flash of pressure and escaping. I believe it's because he cannot see should he stand back a yard or two further so that he can create better throwing lanes do you think that the eagles are aware of this or is the youth within the coaching staff hindering jalen so uh young ig good question to answer the last part of your question no i don't think the youth on the eagles coaching staff is hindering jalen hurts at all i think that well the one big thing to remember when it comes to quarterback dropbacks is that your dropbacks have to be mirrored to the play call they have to be mirrored to the route concept so if you are running deeper routes then your drops are going to be deeper. If you are running shorter routes, then your drops are going to be shorter because your feet are typically going to be tied to your eyes and how you're getting through your progression. So that's why it's not just as simple as, hey, we're going to run these routes and we're going to drop back Jalen two yards deeper than that because now Jalen's feet are not going to be tied up. When he's ready to throw the football, those routes are either going to be too late, they're going to be have already been uh, declared, or if it's the opposite, you're, by the time Jalen's ready to throw, the receivers are nowhere close to their break points, right? So you want to make sure that your your route your, your depth of drop is always going to be tied to the routes that are called in that play. So that's always the number one thing to keep in mind. As far as quarterbacks uh, being able to see through the trees a little bit, Russell Wilson has talked about this, and I remember uh, asking Russell Wilson about this at the Senior Bowl 2012. It was one of my first times down to Mobile, and Russell Wilson, not only was did he have the tallest offensive line in college football when he was at Wisconsin, he had the entire he had the tallest offensive line in all of football, including the NFL, when he was at Wisconsin. They had a bunch of oak trees in front of him blocking for him up there with the Badgers that year. And he said, look, uh, yeah, there are things that I have to do to be able to see through that, but it, it was never a hindrance for me. And I think that that's ultimately when you have those – if you're a shorter quarterback – you're used to being a shorter quarterback, right? Chances are you were short when you were in high school. You were short when you were in college. It's going to be the same thing when you move to the NFL. You're still going to have to try and find ways to be able to operate from the pocket. Or if not, you could still get out of the pocket and create some plays. And I think certainly we see that from Jalen Hurts. I mentioned earlier today, this week was a display game for Jalen Hurts' ability to create outside of structure. Some of them were good, some of them were bad, some of them were runs, some of them were throws, but you saw his ability to break the pocket and create. And that's something that a lot of these younger quarterbacks have that ability to do. You still need to find what you need to slowly get your way to where you can execute from inside the pocket and play within the structure of the offensive play call. But uh, I think ultimately when you're trying to work with a quarterback that you know has some of those deficiencies, and we talk about the size and the ability to see things, it's not just as simple as, hey, just drop back a little bit further. Because, yeah, while the angles change a little bit, you're still going to deal with pressure. You're still going to deal with bodies around you. And so ultimately, that's what I think it comes down to for Jalen moving forward. Uh, are there things you can do? Yeah, you can, you can move the pocket. You can create some more well-defined throws. Look, that, that's why you know, the Eagles have leaned heavily into the screen game. You've leaned heavily into the RPOs. And, and over these last couple of weeks, they've leaned more into some play action, right? So uh, just something to continue to monitor. But it, again, it's not just as simple as I'll just drop a, a couple steps further in your drop because that has to be married to the plays, to the to the routes around it. Everything's got to work in concert. So great question there from Young Guy G. Appreciate that. And appreciate everybody out there that continues to throw us your support over on our Apple podcast page. Thanks to everybody for your support of all of our podcasts here with Eagles Entertainment. That being said, I think that'll do it. Another show in the books here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast fueled by Gatorade. For everybody here at the Novacare Complex, I am Fran Duffy. We will talk to you later this week.